Hello, I'm Shobaraka, and welcome to George Fox Talks. And I have a question for you. Can rich people and poor people exist in the same space? Good morning, George Fox community and friends. I am Shobaraka. I am author, artist, and activist, especially for this conversation today. I am here with Dr. Stephanie Altenburn, who is an assistant professor of social work here at the university. How are you doing on this day? Great. I, I'm fired up to be here. I see. I always, anytime I do interviews, I hope that I'm the most fashionable person, but today I have lost. I've conceded. And you know, it's all right. The watch and the glasses, the whole fit is just, as the young kids say, your drip is nice. <laughs> this is why. Is this I, the first time somebody said drip on a George Fox <laughs> podcast? The, no, this is good for me because mm -hmm. I have four daughters. My oldest is 13 yeah. and does middle school very well. <laughs> and I rely on her a lot to yes, teach me these things. Absolutely. So I am, I have never heard that from her. So now I get to go home and teach her that. And I get Excellent. to go say that to her and see if she Excellent. knows it. And that's, that's a, that's a mom win. There you go. <laughs> I needed that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What made you get into social work? Yeah. So when I was in college, I grew up in a very small town in Michigan, mm -hmm. like graduated with 50 kids in my high school. Like it was a very agricultural community. And I did what most 18 year olds do well and thought I had the world in the palm of my hand. And I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to move to the mountains, move to Colorado. I'm going to snowboard. My life is going to be great. So I, I had moved to this university, uh, gone to college and they had like 10 majors. And I had my heart set on the fact that I was going to be an elementary education major. And I had already gone into, like I graduated with some credit. So I started the program right away and I got there and like two classes in, I went to my advisor. I was like, I don't really want to be a teacher. <laughs> and she's like, well, you just moved a really long way. Yeah. Didn't have a car. She's like, you're going to be taking these classes that really don't matter. So I was like, all right, God, what do I do? So I ended up back at the school in my hometown and had just happened to like pick this major of social work. Like they maybe had like the best ice cream social or something. I don't really know what drew me there. <laughs> Um, but once I started learning about that, I was like, oh man, this is going to be fantastic. I did my first internship with uh, a ministry that recruited church parents to adopt or Christian parents to adopt out of the foster care system. Mm -hmm. Like their whole goal was to like empty the pool of foster care. Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be great. I'm going to like reunite happy families and make dreams come true. And social work is like this fabulous career. And then I kid you not, God was probably, he was just laughing, right? Because my very first job was at the Denver Rescue Mission. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I grew up in a small town, like drugs, substance abuse, like these things like didn't exist in my world. I had no idea. And I remember my very first day, the, my supervisor had come to me and handed me some manila folders. This was like before computer files. And it was like, all right, go fix them. Mm. And I was like, fix them? Yeah. Like, I'm not trained for this. And so that was my first encounter working with homelessness, working with poverty, inner city. Uh, I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned a lot about other people and it was humbling. It's now been 12, 13 years and I haven't really looked back. Um, Excellent. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> here we are doing all the social work things. Uh, when we talk about social work, most of us think about, uh, or a la large part of the, the, the population thinks about casework. But there's another aspect, the macro side of mm -hmm. social work. Could you explain to us 
what that is and why you're so passionate about the macro. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am to be able to like expose this side of social work because you were so right. Mm-hmm. I always ask students when they're coming in, like, you know, kind of, what do you want to do? What brought you here? And most of them, like they want to go be clinical therapists. They want to do the micro work, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. They're like, that is so needed. Yeah. But what really sets social workers apart is the fact that they are, they are like, they're trained in the whole spectrum, right? Yeah. We have micro, we have mezzo, we have macro and some of the best work, the most effective work can happen at the mezzo and macro. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my students, yes, you want to go out and be a caseworker or a therapist. That's fantastic. But you also need to understand and contribute Absolutely. and advocate for the macro piece. Yeah. And as most people do, I spent the early years of my career in that micro world. Like I was a caseworker, I was doing the things and I very quickly realized, especially for my clients, the the low income, the homeless, like the voiceless population, yeah. if I'm honest, if they have a fighting chance to get ahead and thrive in this middle-class society, we have got to change our system. And so what does that mean, right? Like what do we do as macro social workers? We see problems, it's justice, right? It's yeah. equality, it's yeah. all of those pieces. We find those gaps, we see the problems and we say, how can we make this better? And that's where program development comes into play. That's where relationships come into play, which if we're in middle class and wealth, relationships are like everything, right? You talk to people that get into Yale or Harvard, they got in because they knew somebody. Like maybe they had decent grades, right? (laughs) Probably, and a lot of money. But they got in because they know somebody. And so- And then once they leave, those relationships- Get them a job, right? And so, and that is fantastic. What's ironic though, show, is those relationships- those in poverty, the houseless population, like those relationships, that means everything to them. So we have all of these relationships, which we need those micro people skills to have those relationships, but how we can use those relationships is how we make the world a better place as cliche (laughs) as that is. But so question here, uh, macro social work, what is it, right? We are advocating, we are lobbying for change at the state capitol. Um, We are finding out what city council has on their agenda because we need green space. We Mm -hmm. need sidewalks in parts of your community that don't have, where they don't have cars and kids are walking to school. Uh, We need like safe equipment on the playground so kids actually have somewhere they can hang out. We need, uh, we need bus lines in communities. We need bus lines that operate outside of eight to five. Mm-hmm. We need bus lines that can take people to their, their swing shift. Um, we need advocacy for a minimum wage. We need advocacy to not cut the food stamp program or to recognize what else is going to be cut if we do expand something like Medicaid. Fantastic, but we have to look at the whole picture, yeah. right? That money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, let's educate ourselves and do that. Um, we need an economic understanding for how poverty is even determined. Like who creates the poverty line? What do we do about it with inflation? Cause not everything is keeping up, right? There's a daycare shortage. How are people going to work if they get a raise? So it's all of those things, looking at community level issues and saying, this isn't working yeah. for our most vulnerable populations. How do we change it? Dr. King has a quote where he talks about the uh, good Samaritan in the scriptures. And he says, it's great. It's a great story to preach, and and oftentimes as society, we use that. And uh, he says, you know, that's great, but at some point we have to ask, why does so much bad happen on the Jericho yeah. Road? And yeah. I do think that's a great 
kind of like distinction between the micro. We need people mm-hmm. who care for yep. the folks who are beaten down on this Jericho Road. Mm-hmm. But at some point, the macro is, mm-hmm. well, there's a lot of crime or there's a lot of mm-hmm. in, in, injustice that happens on this road. Mm-hmm. How could you give us an example maybe of how to address an issue like homelessness or poverty on a mm-hmm. macro level? <laughs> yeah. Because this is an easy area that you can lose hope. Mm-hmm. You can look at it and Absolutely. you can say, the homeless isn't going to go away. Yeah. I remember when I worked in Denver uh, out of college, they had like the road to end homelessness. And it was like this, it was a, a really, really grand plan. Like how can we not have any homeless? Right. right. And it was like this 10 year plan. And so I just look at something like that and I'm like, the, the thing here though that's missing is when we look at like causes of poverty, for example, It's very easy when we see somebody on the side of the streets panhandling Mm. and we say, go get a job. Get a job, you bum. Right. You you look able-bodied. Go get a job. Get a job. Yeah. But what we don't realize in our very middle-class mindset, mostly privileged mindset, if I'm being totally candid Mm -hmm. here, you need a computer to apply apply for a job. Mm -hmm. Okay? Let's assume somebody makes it to the library to apply for that job, right. okay? They sit down, somebody's helping them. Oh, now you need an address, Yeah. okay? Maybe you're lucky enough to have an address that you get your mail, like Portland Rescue Mission, the Gospel Mission. You know, they do that well. You can have that as an right. address, okay? So now you've gotten through all of that. Let's say now you have to show up for an interview. What kind of interview clothes? Yeah. Maybe you're resourced enough, you can go find an organization in town who's gonna help with that. Then you gotta find a shower. Then you have to find transportation. And now if you're lucky enough to make it through all of those barriers to get hired, now you need an ID yeah. to be able to start the job. I need to be able to show up on time. Like there are so many barriers that we do not recognize. Absolutely. There's resources for all of that, right? But how many times do we like get home after a long day of work and we're like, I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I should work out. I should make a healthy meal. I don't want to do that. So now we are also expecting people who like their emotional energy, like their emotional capacity, it is like, Gone. So in order to totally eliminate these issues, we have to look at how can we make this system set up better? So I'm a huge, huge fan of Ruby Payne, Bridges Out of Poverty. Mm. She basically looks at like the paradigms of socioeconomic status. And there are essentially hidden rules of every socioeconomic status. So, you know, we show up, you know, what's your favorite sport? Right now, soccer. Soccer. Yes. Love that. Love that. So we know we like World Cup, right? Absolutely. We look at the the game of soccer, all of the rules, okay, and that's what you know. So now, what if I were to say, okay, now you need to go show up with your soccer rules, and you need to go play basketball. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna lose, you're gonna get fouled, probably injured. Yeah. Like it's not gonna end I'm well. Falling out real quick. Yeah, because I'm kicking folks and tripping folks. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was that was a good one. So, <laughs> but that's what we expect folks in poverty to do. Yeah. We have a middle class world, absolutely. That is that a lot of our change agents, those in power, come from middle class, and they've got some knowledge with wealth. I'm not speaking for all of them. Some of them have maybe come out of poverty, but they're not quite understanding the hidden rules of poverty and and what's important. So yeah. now we're expecting folks in poverty to show up to this middle class world, this eight to five mentality. And it's a real struggle because they're still playing the game of soccer. Can I ask you this question? How do we as churches Mm -hmm. even think about our programs and the way we do fellowship in considering people who are on the margins? Yeah. Yeah. 
I love because this. I've been in churches that plant, you know, they have great dreams of uh, let's we're planning for this particular community, et cetera, et cetera. But they bring the very thing that you just communicated, these philosophies, these mm-hmm. ideas from the middle class world, educated world to these mm-hmm. blighted communities. And they're like, we're going to change and transform this community. But even the way that they communicate, the sermons may be, you know, you Greek and Hebrew references, Mm -hmm. not to say that people in these communities don't understand or not intellectuals, but they may not understand, you know, certain Mm -hmm. um, postures and how you're communicating. What can we do Mm -hmm. to not just the social work, but even the pre-work of engaging our communities better from church philosophies and methods? Love that. Love that. So uh, this is something, I mean, so many social work organizations have started off like 501c3s. Mm-hmm. They've started off by incredibly well-intentioned people. Mm-hmm. Like they just want to do good. Absolutely. And we do, we wake up and, and we, we put our best drip on, right? And we go about our day doing the best that we can. That's three times now. Yeah. So <laughs> keep, it keep it count. So we drink communion every time. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> is that a controversial word? Should I not say? No, that? no, no. Okay. It's not all at right, all. all, right, all right. It's, well, I say things I need some, to know. There are some that I can give you that are controversial, but that's okay. definitely that, okay. <laughs> so we're safe here. Very so, safe. but my point being with that, like we wake up and we put our best foot forward to the best of our abilities that we mm-hmm. know how. We don't mm-hmm. often understand all of the context. So, what I would say to churches, right? And like, no disclaimer, like I do not have the gift of being a pastor, so I don't want to say pastors are doing this wrong by any means. Pastors but I, are doing this wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> But I think that we need to do a better job understanding the context. For example, I worked for an organization. I actually was on staff at at, at a church in the past, and they had a, a wonderful community program where they provided school supplies, right? Um, and every year it was like this huge event. The whole community would come out. It was like a great Hey, we love you. You're you're loved here. Show up. Like we want to feed you. Make this like a, a happy event. Well, the part of that that they eventually realized was there was another organization that had a grant funding to provide backpacks and school supplies every year. Mm. So now, once this rather large church started stepping in and providing all of that, the numbers for the uh, the organization yeah. providing yeah. this mm-hmm. started to decrease. Right. Which then when you do your grant reporting, right, then you lose that funding. Absolutely. Right. And we see this overseas all the time. We think that we people need rice or shoes or grain. Entrepreneurial kind of hijacking so that people who are producing don't sell because they're getting things yep. for free or whatnot. Yeah. Yep. And hey, you need you need there was a documentary I was watching where uh like they were providing shoes. Yeah. A bunch of shoes, right? Well now you're putting the shoe maker yeah. out of business. And so then when that shoe organization in the US pulls out, then yeah. you're leaving people very high situation. and dry. Yeah. And that's international, but that happens all the time here. We Absolutely. need to do a better job of putting our own assumptions aside for what's mm-hmm. going to be helpful and go into our communities and present ourselves as servants and learners without our own agenda. Yeah. We need to say, what do you need? We are here to serve you. And sometimes they don't know. And I love the idea of micro loans. Like that's yeah. been a really mm-hmm. successful thing. How can we go in and pour infrastructure into sustaining that community? Yeah. Making sure that it is set up that when we, we aren't around anymore, right. that they can sustain it, sustain itself. That like, that to me is kingdom work, right? Absolutely. So. All right. So I'm gonna read this quote to you and you just I don't even know if I have a question. I just love this quote. I just, 
<laughs> and I get to share my thoughts. And I just want you to share your thoughts because yeah. I think it's right on the nose. All right. So Christopher J.H. Wright. <clears throat> so Christopher J.H. Wright, who wrote Old Testament Ethics for the People of God, he has this quote in his book. He says, the Old Testament asserts, as all modern analysis demonstrate, that the that only a tiny fraction of poverty is accidental. Mostly people are made poor by the actions of others directly or indirectly. Poverty is caused. And the primary cause is the exploitation of others by those whose own selfish interests are served by keeping others poor. I've never felt so seen in my profession with that <laughs> quote. Like that is... Yeah. That breaks that quote breaks so many of the social norms of what mm. we think about poverty. Yeah. And like that fires me up. So when I tell when I do my lectures, when I teach people about the causes of poverty, they often have no idea. Cause again, it goes those individual behaviors. Okay. Well, like I, I hope we all realize like we are like one bad decision. Absolutely. <laughs> we are Absolutely. we are sinners. We are so not perfect. Our bad decisions sometimes don't they may not leave us homeless. They may not leave us totally at rock bottom for years right. to come, for generations right. to come. So when we think about poverty, right, we think about causes of poverty and individual behaviors, that is one piece. One of the pieces we also have as, as a cause of poverty is exploitation. Absolutely. Okay, you look at neighborhoods, like you picture yourself, I don't know, you're in Atlanta uh -huh. right now, okay? Yep. Let's say you, you uproot, move here to Newburgh. Mm -hmm. Portland, great. Love to have you here, okay? You're driving around, uh, married kids, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a family to think about. Absolutely. So you're like, what areas of town do I want to live in? So you start driving around and then you kind of get a feel for like what areas may not be safe to raise kids in, mm -hmm. right? That maybe aren't as desired. And we just did this. We just moved here a year and a half ago, got four kids. I got a lot to think about. And I'm going through in the areas of town that I see pawn shops, used liquor car store. dealerships, yeah. liquor store, title, uh, title yeah, loans, absolutely. those places you're not going to go to Lake Oswego, which is a community here, and you're not going to see a pawn shop. You're not. You, as a matter of fact, show you there is a Goodwill boutique. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like so, when we think about exploitation, we think about, and then there's not even bus lines. Absolutely. So somebody owes their we don't neighbor. Don't want you poor people coming to our community. Right. Pretty much. Like you are stuck <laughs> there with the resources that are there. You don't have. Stephanie, you better slow down because I am gonna. You're gonna get me to a level <laughs> of ignorance that is. I mean, you're you're hitting all the buttons, show. So like, I'm. So I'm, let me let me calm back down. Let me. Okay. So back, let me like not make this a 15 minute answer, right? Because this is like, oh man, this is good stuff. So when we think about exploitation, we have to change policies. We have to yeah. not allow places to show up uh, and exploit vulnerable individuals. Yeah. Because if they need money, that title loan place is going to look real appealing oh yeah absolutely right like you try to give up pizza for 30 days and now every single pizza even if it's like yep. hawaiian pizza looks really really appealing when you yeah. just want that slice of pizza and so we have to look at, at exploitation like we have to look at our political and economic structures that absolutely. speak into this and again this is all like ruby Payne bridges out of poverty huge pitch yeah. for it fascinating on the research continuum for causes of poverty because it is so much more than individual behaviors and that exploitation piece is absolutely a piece of that it, it's I find it very interesting because you can, you know, we can go to, say, this mythical city or part of community, part of a community that you're talking about. And we can see prostitutions and pimps um, working. And if that person walked into a church, we would be quick to say, we appreciate you coming here, but your vocation and your lifestyle must change mm -hmm. in order 
to be a part of this fellowship. And we would rightfully in some ways, yeah, you know, uh, challenge that person to uh, a life of godliness and to mm -hmm. see the dignity in themselves and the dignity of others. However, if somebody who was into predatory lending walked into our church and was like, hey, I want a fellowship here. We'd be like, yeah. amen. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Yeah. And we would probably make them an elder Well, and because of the way that they manage their money. Right. And it's, it's a business opportunity. Yeah. And who knows that and they might giving. bring in more to the church, right? And that both people are exploiting folks in a way that is detrimental mm -hmm. to the community and not producing flourishing. Yeah. But one's illegal and one isn't. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Like some of these sins are more obvious, right. right? We can look at a pastor who might struggle with gluttony, right? Right, but that's acceptable. Absolutely. Um, and we might look at somebody who is um, behind closed doors, had multiple affairs, and we don't know about that. But if that comes out, they still might be accepted there because we love them and and they've been with the church for how many years, right. right? But the minute somebody relapses or is an addict or gets a DUI or something, mm -hmm. they kind of yeah. get shunned out. Absolutely. So you bring up good points. So there, yeah, we're going so, there. We're going yeah. there. <laughs> Churches often create, um, I guess you could say, mediating institutions. What would you say to churches who are thinking like, man, I, I want to I wanna serve. I want to be a bridge, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, not only to the churches, but also to the Christian who is thinking about social work. What are some of the things that if you can give like a, a three minute, like, oh, here's what I would challenge you to think through. What would be that thing? Well, I think it's twofold. Number one. So the first part of your question, churches, go spend time with people that make you uncomfortable. Mm. Go, go hang out, go a day in the life, right, of somebody that makes you extremely uncomfortable because that's when you really get to see that people are human. Yeah, I think about that with the houses all the time. Like I, I don't like the word homeless. I don't like the word houseless. They're people. Mm -hmm. Like they are homeless people. Like let's just take out homeless. Like let's just look at them as people. And they're actually pretty intelligent in their own ways. Mm -hmm. I have learned so much from my clients and I've been so humbled. But I would never get there if I didn't place myself in a position willing to learn right so what's another term that you were like they're just people just say like what? but how do we do how do we describe that person like, right. like, I, like maybe under resourced yeah. got you okay right which because yeah. i think like often i can be under resourced in Absolutely. some ways i'm, I'm under resourced we talked about micro loans if you want to go ahead and give me a micro loan my name is let me show you can email me at <laughs> but i'm sorry go ahead no 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 but i just think for for churches right we think that we want to really do things well yeah and it's hard for churches, especially the bigger they are, it's hard for them to truly think in an unbiased way for, because a lot of it is like, how can we also get our name out there to yeah. increase people, to be able like to lead people to Christ? That is all really, really wonderful. But I think we have to, we have to start looking back at like, what was the church like in, in Acts, right? Like, this is like, I'm sorry, but like the fog machines, like, is it necessary? <laughs> Like I, I just, it's controversial, yes, it's right? Necessary. Like, am Absolutely I allowed necessary. to say we these things? We got to put on a show. What? Uh, man, Jesus I might be, I might be out of a job here. I don't know, but <laughs> I just like, I just think if we are being candid and honest, and yeah. we really want to look at like, what do we need to do for kingdom work? Like, we need to go meet people where they are, and we need to stop expecting them to show up on our rules. And we all do it, not just yeah. churches. We think about that in, in relationships. Like, I think about like moving here, trying to meet new friends. 
Like, does my husband like the other person? Do my kids like it? Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we just have all of these factors that we want to take into consideration. But if we can just get rid of our own bias and recognize that like they're people and they want connection too, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, let me interrupt with another question. Do you find that a lot of churches like to do the work um, for an applause, kind of like the when helping hurts versus actually truly integrating people into the life of their mm -hmm. community? Um, and if they are interested in integrating these individuals, these people into the life of the church, what kind of things must they consider? I think that you are asking if those people who might make churches uncomfortable were to come in and like, if we're looking at it from an equality justice standpoint mm -hmm. here, like how can we all be on equal playing fields? What that might look like. So I'll just make it real personal. Okay. Please do. Uh, I go to a, I go to a wonderful church mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we do great work. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle of a gentrifying community. Okay. We were there before it was gentrified, but mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a a market that has just exploded and changed the, you know, the demographic of the community. There are housing projects around okay. our church. They're contracted to be there for another 10 years. Okay. Um, our church is an educated, middle-class, diverse church. It's very difficult to see the people who attend our church, or it's very difficult to see the folks who live in these projects, these um, um, these uh, in low income housing, to really see them having real, 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 real equity mm -hmm. in our church. Mm -hmm. And when I say real equity, I mean being leaders in our church, mm -hmm. elders. Mm -hmm. As much as I believe in the heart posture of what we're trying to do, and I'm like, yeah, the reality is, is I, I I know their barriers. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean, you know, they're not welcomed. I see ourselves, we, we do all kinds of outreach. We serve that community. But there can be a chance that many churches find comfort in just doing the work and saying, hey, we're here to serve you, but we're not allowing you to serve us. Yeah, yeah I like that. So when I have worked with those in poverty and the, and the stories and the, that I witnessed that I've heard of people being successful and moving out of poverty. Okay. Mm -hmm. I promise I'm like, I'm going somewhere with this. <clears throat> a lot of times it has been because they have what we call a middle-class ally. Mm -hmm. So I don't like the term mentor mentee. Like that's got a hierarchy to it. That still says we're above you. I don't like that. I like allies. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we have I worked with a program that we paired up for somebody that was trying to transition out of poverty. They had three allies that were of middle class or wealth, and they were teaching them the ways, right? Kind of like, God, like, I love you too much to leave you this way. Like, if you're uncomfortable, that's good because you're growing and you're dependent on me. I think the same thing with those uh, that we're trying to teach something, right? So I think about like your church, your community sounds like fantastic work. How do you get those folks to where you can all build and grow together? Mm -hmm. You're willing to teach them just as you're letting them teach you. Absolutely. And it becomes this partnership and this mm -hmm. ally. Like here, here's what I know about this. Here's what I know about this community. You have a lot more experience. Tell me about mm -hmm. that. I get clients all the time. Like you're young and you're white. Yes. Both of those things. I mean, I call myself young, right? For the most part, <laughs> but you're right. I have not experienced what you have experienced as a Hispanic or as an African-American mm -hmm. or as a Pacific Islander. 
but teach me, tell me more. I want to hear about those experiences because that's part of what makes you human. And that's a beautiful thing. And you have a lot of gifts and a lot of assets you bring to the table that we can use, but I want you to teach me. And when you can present yourself in that way, like that builds a relationship, Amen. right? And then you're going to learn from each other. And then next thing you know, Hey, your church board is talking about something. Hey, I met so-and-so like they actually have some knowledge on this. Like Amen. let's get them at the table. Right. Some of the nonprofits I've worked for, two of them in particular, they're one of their board of directors bylaws was that they had to have at least 50% of the board had to be graduated clients of the program. Mm, that's excellent. And I thought that was so beautiful. Yeah. Like you're talking about diversity, right? Like what better way than socioeconomic diversity in a program that is serving the yeah. lower end of the socioeconomic yeah. status? I think that's great. It takes a lot of humility. So much Absolutely. humility. However, Dr. Alton Byrne. There are people out there who don't want my help. Yeah. They don't yeah. they don't want our yeah. help. What do we do about these people mm -hmm. who don't want our services? Yeah. Well, it's very on a micro and a macro I, level. I know. What do we do? I know. And and I find this with clients all the time. They don't want to get clean. They don't want they don't want to go to the shelter because they can't have a hot UA for mm. stay at the shelter. Like there are stipulations, right? And we just show up and we love them. Similar to how when we don't want to change our ways and God says like, hey, you need to. And mm. we fight that for potentially our whole lives, depending mm. on what it is. Same kind of thing. Like the client is the expert of their own story. Well, we are the expert of our story. And that is up to us on how we want to change. There will always be people out there that want to stay homeless. Yeah. They are totally content sleeping in a tent. They are totally content panhandling for money. That And that's their prerogative, right? Like we are not going to totally change all of their ways. Mm. We cannot control how people are. But I think if we can recognize like what are some infrastructures that we can put in place, right? Safe needle dispensing boxes, mm -hmm. safe spaces that they can sleep in, like safe parking lots, you know, this housing crisis. There are now like safe parking lots that people can go sleep in yeah. if they want to do that. Have you seen that um – be, be done in a successful way where you kind of <clears throat> create spaces for, I guess you can say, um, because oftentimes there are areas where people say, I don't want panhandling in this particular mm -hmm. part of, of city. So if we can move it to a particular place, right. have you seen that, you know, some cities have done this successfully yeah. and it's worked or is it just all like, Hey, we're still trying to figure it out. I know. And I, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the magic answer uh, is that people are trying to figure that out. I, I haven't been in Portland long, a year mm -hmm. and a half or so. Um, and so still just trying to get used to what that looks like. I know there's a lot more frustration. There's a mm -hmm. lot more people have a lot of ideas for how we could solve all of these problems, yep. but I think it's really just a moving target. Yeah. And I pray for our legislators and change makers that are trying to spearhead these decisions because there are so many dynamics, <laughs> so many political dynamics that yeah. play into this and how can we do this well? And no matter what they say, the public is frustrated, yeah, right? Absolutely. It's one way no, Somebody's going to be frustrated. Honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to be happy. And so yeah. I don't, I really don't know if there's a magic answer to that, but I think that if we can have some kind of understanding, I know that's helped me as a social worker yeah. and, and I'm thankful I can share that with my students for, we don't have all the answers, but if we're willing to learn from the people who are in those situations that want to get out, maybe our solutions might be a little bit more effective from the get go, right? They may not want extra food delivery boxes, but what they really want, they want, they really want transportation. That is like, that might be their main goal. They can't yeah. get ahead if we don't have solid transportation. Yeah. We have to ask them. 
Yeah. In light of that last question, very simple, very, very, very simple question. This is probably the easiest question of the of the interview. <laughs> Can poor people and rich people, people who are under-resourced and people who have a lot, can they exist in the same space? That's an easy question. Very easy. I was, I mean, really, I was expecting you to have a book written on this. Ugh. Already. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yes. Okay. They can. Are they going to exist with a lot of tension and a lot of... Uh, Disagreement and conflict? Probably yes. All right. How do we deal with the conflict and mm -hmm. tension? Both as, you know, you know, ideally there is a manual we call it the scriptures that helps us to deal with mm -hmm. conflict and tension, but mm -hmm. not, you know, not every municipality operates. Yeah. I mean, none, zero of them operate under this guideline. So how do you, as a social worker who's concerned with the macro, how do you... Um, you have a private practice. Mm -hmm. If I said, "Hey, I'm building this city. Mm -hmm. It's called New Jerusalem, and I want mm -hmm. I want people who are under resourced and people who are wealthy to exist in this space, mm -hmm. and I want to create, you know, live, work, play, worship environment for all people to be a part of it. And I need you and your insight mm -hmm. to help me build this. And I have this foreseeable idea of these are the tension, these are the different conflicts we'll uh, uh, we'll deal with." What are some things that you would tell me? Like, yeah. hey, consider this. This is probably how you resolve that. This, 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 and X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I used to. I used to train again these very well-intentioned, essentially church volunteers that wanted to do to do good, and I would take them through this day-long training curriculum, basically like educating them on what it's like to be in poverty. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it included things like a poverty simulation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm not sure, for sure if you're familiar with that I mean, model. I I remember Oprah did something like that. And I was like, this is, I mean, God bless your heart, Oprah. But Well, <laughs> I mean, the poverty simulations I know, they've been like Salvation Army. So they're, you know, okay. like uh, fairly legit in okay. my experiences, okay. right? Um, I did not grow up in that mindset. Right. I and mean, it was only like a, a two-hour type of activity. Yeah. And it was the most stressful two hours of my life. And yeah. I've worked with, I've worked with folks for many, many years. But when those folks that are higher resourced, right, when we can educate them on what it's like, I'm not saying that we're going to like be free of conflict. It's right. just we we do that among everybody, right, that you're not going to get rid of that. But I think if we can do our part in trying to help people understand uh, what it's like to be on the other side, mm -hmm. um, we can hopefully instill some compassion um, we, we see some empathy and we see a real opportunity for people to form connections and people to form relationships beyond that. Sometimes you got to trust the Holy spirit as far yeah. as what's going to happen. But yeah. I, I think that piece is so critical. How can we make sure that we are all in this shared space, understanding what it's like to be on that other side? Yeah. What can we learn from somebody else? Right. Are we taking our own agenda? Are we trying to fix them? I tell my students all the time, don't go should on your clients you should do this. You should do that. Oh, my gosh. My you know, brother, oh, we have a debate about this all the time. He says, stop <laughs> shitting on people. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, I, I have four kids, right? Like, I do right, this right, with my right, kids right, right. all the time, right? Yeah. I'm sure I do it with my clients. But I say, don't go shit on them. You don't have the answer to their yeah, life, yeah. right? Like, your role as a social worker, yes, you've got some training, some clinical skills, yeah. diagnosing, treatment planning, all of that. You're doing that. 
but you are also, they're navigating their own treatment plan. So if they don't want to go to rehab, they don't need, they don't need to go to rehab yeah. and you're going to love them. And if you, for as long as you're working with them, you're going to let them know that that is always an option. But if they are not ready to do that, they're not ready to do that. A lot of um, my tension with activist work is, or I'll just say activist work, not to, Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the moral or bring any kind of uh, uh, minimize the work that you do. So activist work is knowing that on this side of the great by and by, we will never, we won't create a utopia. Yeah. You know, we won't reproduce Eden, mm-hmm, right? But mm-hmm. I often like to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane mm-hmm. where there's a second garden where Jesus is there and he's showing us what it looks like to live sacrificially, to to live with all authority, yet to give that 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 power for the benefit of other people in the midst of tension, betrayal, etc. Mm-hmm. How much of that mindset should social workers and activists have when they're going into difficult situations where they know? Look. I hope that we can change systems. Mm-hmm. I hope mm-hmm. that we can create micro and macro change, meso change, all of that. However, there's a chance that none of this may actually capitulate. And so, but yet God is still good. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how much of that on the front of your head do you need as a social worker versus the back? I think a lot. Mm-hmm. I tell my students, if you're coming into this field, well, I tell them two things. If you're coming in this field to make good money, you came to the wrong field. But <laughs> you're doing kingdom work, right? Not the other majors aren't doing that. Work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, ironically, I went to school in my undergrad. They built a brand new building and mm-hmm. they put social work on the second floor. And the school of business was on the first floor. So that we had to like walk through the school of business to get to our floor in hopes that we would meet like good connections or... Yeah. Or just not make it up to the second floor. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? I'm just I think I'm good. I floor. think I'm good. But I think, and I also tell them, if you're coming in this for success stories, yeah. this is also like, I could probably like count on like two hands, like success stories, like clients truly getting housed or getting clean and sober. I'm not really living for that, right? I feel called in this profession. And I know many others do. Like I've had many students that have also shared this. They want to go out there and they want to be able to plant seeds. Yeah. And whether that's to clients, whether that's to communities, like that's what we're about. We recognize we we may the, on this side of where we are now, like we're not going to see the promised land, Absolutely. right? We hope and pray, like if we could just wake up, things would be much better. Mm-hmm. But there, number one is job security. <laughs> number two, mm-hmm. we just know that we're going to go out there and we're going to fight another day and try to to represent the people that need voices, or we're going to go learn something. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a kind of a chaotic roller coaster. I enjoy that. Like I'm here for that. Right. Like I, I don't really thrive in the mundane. I thrive in chaos. Amen. Um, and that's very easy for social workers to be. And you don't really like, this isn't something that you're, Hey, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I'll get a master's degree in social work. Yeah, probably not. I mean, you rule yourself out pretty quick if that's kind of what you're doing, but there's a lot, there's a lot of seeds to plant in our profession. A lot. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with Dr. Stephanie Altenburn, and we're going to go through some rapid fire questions, okay? So I have about five questions I'm going to ask you. You're going to give me your your personal and then another answer in relation to your work, your vocation, okay? okay. Ready? All right, so I'm putting you in isolation for a year, right? You're, okay. you're taking care of yourself, but you can have one book. What is that book 
that you're reading? Okay. Uh, the Help. The Help. Okay. Or a quick. Oh, I, oh man, I'm going to cheat. You can only have one. So you give me another one. I'm, I'm going to make you pick. Okay. Well, if I'm going to go into isolation, somebody uh -huh. can surprise me and uh -huh. give me either The Help or Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Okay. So in regards to your work, because yeah. we want you to still be up on social and you got to stay sharp. <laughs> so when I come out of isolation. Yeah. So when you come out of that thing, okay. you know, hair all crazy. What is the book in regards to your work? Uh, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Mm. Okay. These are also good resources for you guys. All right. So you can only eat one meal. Oh. It has to be the same thing over and over and over again. What is that meal you're eating? Brunch. Brunch. See, that's so broad. That's so is it like what type of brunch? Is it like French toast? Is it what's on the plate? You don't I'm a have millennial. <laughs> we live for brunch. We, I'm a white millennial. We live for brunch. This is like 11 C's with uh, you just everything. Okay. I'll let you have it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you have one album. One album that you're listening to. It's on repeat. What is that album? Other than my album. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I know. Um, am I still in isolation? Yes. You haven't left yet. You're still there. Okay. It's going to sound like real boring. Okay. Okay. Probably some random album of yoga music. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're going to be doing a whole lot of yoga. Yes, okay. I am. Do you have, in regards to your work, is there a song around justice or protest that you say like, Ooh, this song, I'm listening to this song yes. all year yes. long or an album. Um, yeah, there is a song out there by casting crowns. Um, Oh, and it kind of like raps. I am like a big time I, protest uh, group casting crowns. Yes. I know. Right? No, what is that song? I am so bad with music. Like, and there's a there's a rap artist on there. You saying? Right. Yeah. Um, they basically they basically talk about a lot of these things that we've talked. And I don't usually like casting crowns. Please do not put that on. <laughs> That's going on there. That's definitely <laughs> staying on there. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like. I. I don't really do. Yeah. See, that's what's it called. That song. I figured it was the KB. Yeah, I figured it was the that song. song Much love to KB. Great guy. Yes, that song, because it talks about so many of these things that we yeah. have talked about today yeah. and showing up. But I like Casting Crowns in that song. So Can I can I ask you, are you a big fan of Casting Crowns? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Front row, every concert. <laughs> All right. So um, one film. That you you have to watch all over. It's just all year. It's just like, oh, I'm watching this film over and over. Barbie. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you a sentence to explain why. One sentence? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, all right. This is like a Pictionary or something, huh? <laughs> One sentence to explain Barbie Fighting social norms in a biblical way. Oh, okay. So we have a lot of biblical truths, a lot of mm. a lot of a lot of subtle biblical truths in Barbie. Who as, knew? As a mother of four girls that believes in in gender roles, yes. So women are little girls out there. If you want Barbies, just say, like, look, it's out here teaching us biblical truths. And so your parents can't fight against that. 
All right, so a film about social work or social justice yeah. that you would recommend. Your favorite. favorite yeah. This is it. There, uh, Aaron Brockovich. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I'm like so – like Barbie, when I watched that on Sunday, that was literally the first movie in like probably a decade that I had watched. Uh, so I'm going to go with – it's it's kind of this old – like it's a little outdated, but principles are still the same. It's called Nickel and Dimed. There's also a book about it. Huh, it's basically about a journey, somebody trying to move out of poverty. It's a good – Nickel and Dimed. Yeah. All right. It's a good one. All right, uh, last one. What is a, a self care practice that mm. you? I mean, you you mentioned yoga. I do. But let's just say yeah. yoga's out the. You can't do yoga. What's another self care practice that you will do for this year? And this is the only one that you can do. So you actually can't do yoga. So you're just listening to yoga music for no reason <laughs> while I'm on my Peloton. That's <laughs> is it? Are you? Yeah, be, definitely Peloton. All right, Peloton. All right. I have to have that nice lation. Okay. If you're not going to give me a yoga instructor, yeah. you need to give me a Peloton. What is something that like if if you know you had some students and they were like, hey, I just need a self care self care practice. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any mm-hmm. healthy habits. What would you recommend for them to do as they're engaging this chaotic world? Yeah, they need to find something that brings them joy that's mm-hmm. not work related. Okay, so that could be playing with dolls, Barbies. Yeah, because it's very biblical. Yeah. Absolutely. Although I don't play with the Barbies too much, so yeah. I won't spoil the movie, but yeah. you'll see what happens. And eat brunch. Brunch is absolutely self-care. Eat brunch, play with Barbies, and stop shitting on people. Yeah. That is the moral of today's interview, ladies and gentlemen. Can you please give a round of applause behind your cameras or whatever you are, your screens, for Dr. Stephanie Altenburn, ladies and gentlemen. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.